Hey everybody, it's John. I wanted to remind you that we do have a Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash alien minute. Over there on Patreon, Mitch and I discuss subjects concerning movies and television and just about anything else we want to talk about. So uh, if you want to come over there, you can subscribe for $2 a month for one episode or $5 a month for every episode at patreon.com forward slash alien minute. Thank you. Hello and welcome to Alien Minute, the daily podcast where we are analyzing aliens in short controlled bursts. I'm John Engel. And I'm Jason Hack back with you and ready to rock and roll for another week. And now we are beginning with Minute 91. And that begins with Bishop continuing to align the dish at the colony transmitter and ends with Ripley realizing her gun is gone from its place on top of the bed. Yeah, folks, we have uh, Jason Heck back. He's kind of become the other co-host, I guess. Uh, it's him, him and Mitch kind of coming back and forth, a few guest hosts here and there. But, uh, Jason, you're always good to come through in, a clu- in the clutch here. So thanks for coming out. Mitch generally provides the brains. I kind of provide kind of a, a faint forbidden whiff of sex, kind of the, the sensuality of the podcast, I think. Am yeah, I? Sure. Well, well, we'll let the readers decide and <clears throat> validate. Um, but, uh, yeah, I know my role. My role is to love the hell out of this movie that I've seen, you know, a gazillion times and to talk about it because I think Cameron hasn't done anything better except Terminator. And while he's, you know, vomiting out these Avatar sequels that nobody asked for, it's, I think, up to us to go back to the really good stuff and remember how great he could be. And boy, is this movie great. And is this minute great? This is, this is... The clock is ticking. It's a thermonuclear clock. I think I think what we have here in minute 91 is the beginning of the forward trajectory, the constant like hurtling into the I almost hurtling into the abyss, I guess sort of for James Cameron. Sure. Because uh, until the abyss comes out, he's never going to slow down again as a filmmaker. I mean, this movie, once we get this scene um, in the med bay, you know, under the cot, now that Re- Ripley is coming to realize that, uh, you know, things aren't quite right, that something's been done to, to set her up here. Once the action begins in this scene, I think that that's it, right? Do we ever slow down again? No, because if we timeline it, what do we have? We have this scene... We have confrontation with Burke. We have power out. We have alien attack, shootout, vents, escape, newt, drop ship, finale. Yeah. I mean, I guess you could argue that after this scene, it's a bit of digression for them to settle in and um, threaten to kill Burke, you know. But boy, uh, from that point on, though, like as soon as that moment ends, which is interrupted uh, by action, uh, it's just straight up hard you know full throttle action for the rest of the movie absolutely and this scene you're right this sets it up we we now have the means of escape suddenly becoming palpable becoming tantalizingly close as we see the second dropship on board the sulaca um suddenly come to life and begin moving to be pre-flighted and armed and fueled and all that good stuff and so now we realize that, you know what, Bishop is probably going to come through. You know, he did that 
that long crawl through the through the conduit and the most demonic lighting that you've ever seen with that flashlight under Lance Hendrickson's chin. And and here he is where he, he's kind of coming into his own and, and redeeming himself with his technical know-how and expertise and, I dare say, bravery. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think, you know, we had this scene uh, a couple weeks ago with me and Mitch that um, had, you know, Bishop and Ripley making really their first connection, right? Or at least Ripley first acknowledging Bishop, really, Mm -hmm. um, since she found out that he was a a synthetic human. I think she started to see humanity in him, I think, is sort of what I'm getting at. Uh, She sees, you know, that he has... Maybe he's the guy that that has the answers for her. Whatever she needs to know, he's going to be the only one that can come through with her for her on these scientific notes mm-hmm. that she needs filled out. And then when he um, offers to, you know, shimmy his way through that conduit, that's when she. I, I think bravery is the word you use. I think that's the correct word. I think she saw a bit of bravery in him because he didn't just robotically say, um, "I'll go through." I am the robot. That is what I'm programmed to do. He says it, and then he exhibits a bit of fear or trepidation about doing it, which gives us the idea he does have a sense of self-preservation. And sure enough, she helps him go in the conduit, right? She's there to send him off. So there's this this kind of sense, you're right, that, that um, she believes in his mission, and she's actually helping him start it out. It's her and Vasquez, and remember, she takes the pistol from him after Vasquez hands it right. to him, and he's like, there's not really room to shoot anybody in the conduit, and hands it to Ripley, but, you know, hey, watch your fingers, and I'll see you soon. There's, there's some real humanity shining through him, when, in fact, if we flash back to Alien, and we realize that Ash never really showed any humanity, you know, kind of slow burn and the occasional dry wit and a little sarcasm, but no warmth, no real humanity as such. And here's Bishop kind of taking her expectations and starting to exceed them, starting to do better in her eyes. Yeah. Even as a doctor, Ash, uh, he didn't really have much of a bedside manner, right? Like you get that moment where he gives Kane the water um, after he's woken up from the coma and, and he immediately walks as far as away as possible, it seems, mm-hmm. where you get, the, you get the idea that if Bishop ever really played doctor in this, uh, which we did no indication that he's w- would play that role at all. But um, if he were, you would think he'd have a very good bedside manner. He would actually, he's programmed to have empathy and so on. So it, it's a different breed of synthetic we have here. Um, and I wondered, how much of Ripley's distrust do you think is based not just on her experiences with Ash, but with the fact that the synthetics or artificial persons as they prefer are in fact very direct tendrils of the company, a very big company presence, right? They probably cost, you know, who knows how much in adjusted dollars, um, but, but they are, you know, vastly sophisticated and, are they programmed for loyalty there? He's certainly loyal to the humans. He takes care of them to, to the, to the fire team, to the squad. But you know, the, do you think some of Ripley's, Oh, call it distrust is also paranoia about having another chunk of the company there. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think that's there. I, I I also think that there's something about humans, the people in general and their bigotries where they look for the easier answer with their bigotry, if you know what I mean. So instead of instead of finding the systemic root of what their problem is with somebody or what group they represent or whatever it may be, they run to um, 
a direct one-to-one correlation with somebody else. Yeah. You know? Like in her case, she's saying, you know, she seems to be a bigot against artificial people. But in fact, it's probably a lot more complicated than that. And she's not really being accusatory of him um, on that basis as much as it is. Yeah, it's probably more nuanced uh, paranoia concerning the multi-layered betrayal that she already experienced that was really the core of which was the company. And, you know, you would think, though, then that she wouldn't trust Burke, which she doesn't totally trust him or anything, but she sure does seem to be less paranoid about Burke, who is also directly, uh, um, you know, directly answers to the company. But I guess maybe she believes that a human can make moral choices and that maybe a synthetic person can't, uh, an artificial person can't. I don't know. That's an interesting question. Or uh, maybe she just doesn't like cornbread. Well, she definitely doesn't. We know I that. mean, well, not that, at least not that cornbread. Nobody seems to. Yeah, but I think you're right about Burke. I, I think the only moment that she actually lets herself trust him is simply when they're doing the, the midnight video phone call and he says, that's, that's the plan. You have my word. And she just, that's all she needs to hear. And she jerks the card out and hangs up on him. That's the only moment. I, I wonder if she yanks the card out because of emotional exhaustion or because she knows if he keeps talking, she won't trust him anymore. I was thinking about that with, with Burke. That's a good, that's a good call. That might be because you kind of get the idea, you know, I, I can't remember the exact conversation we had about this back when, when we had that minute, I'm pretty sure it was Tasha Robinson and, and Kwame Opum that were on for that minute. And we discussed it at length, but I can't remember that idea being posited, but that's a good one to where she really needs to trust him. She needs to be able to trust him because she's got a big, she's got a, a big nightmare on her back. She's trying to shake off. And in order to do that, she figures she's got to go back. So um, she needs to at least have him give her the lip service. Right. Right. <laughs> and, uh, and, once she gets that, she's afraid he'll schmarm his way into her distrusting him if he could, if he goes into his uh, used car salesman. Right. That uh, was kind of my feeling. Like, if you call me, you know, kiddo one more time, I can't bring myself to go. I will. Uh, you, you'll be too greasy for me to ever believe in. So all I want to hear is that we're going to kill him. And then that's enough. No, no embellishment, nothing else. That was just something I've been kicking around after, you know, because I've been watching it plenty. To, to research our minutes. Um, and so that was one of the things I stumbled over. And now that we talk about her trusting Burke, I realized that, that maybe, you know, the only real moment in the movie when she trusted him was when she trusted him enough to actually go along on this expedition into, you know, her past and her, her greatest nightmares. It's true. Hey, is my cat harassing you in there? Uh, quite a bit. You're probably hearing a few <laughs> meows over the, uh, your, your cat's a good cat. We uh, both cats, Heidi and Goo, are are loyal and sweet. And let's not uh, let's not denigrate them. But yes, there is um, quite a bit of swirling around my legs and tail dragging and meowing. Well, it's, I was thinking since we're in the middle of the talking about that scene that you should tell those little shitheads to leave you alone and head down to the basement. But uh, since you don't want to denigrate them at all, then don't say I, don't say that to me. Being a guest in your home, I didn't I didn't really want to say you know beat it shitwits, but uh, yeah, I can I can do that. Um, so we've got this beautiful shot of the dish being aligned against this sort of you know autumnal sky, this mammoth construct turning on on you know enormous bearings and and gears and motorized stuff one question i had i found um 
somewhere online prowling the minutia of, of aliens, I found um, the uh, laptops that they used for the uh, uh, remote sentry weapon system um, control station, the things that, that Hicks was typing on and that had the whole UA571C interface. Now, we see Bishop typing away on this keyboard, and you and I were, were looking pretty closely at this terminal, this portable terminal, as it was called, and this thing is uh, is quite a construct. Yeah, um, I, I was looking closely at it. I wanted to see how it compared to our beloved keyboard, our self-destruct uh, mechanism keyboard that we got in Alien that has all the insane symbols and meanings oh, to God. them. Oh, God, yeah. And, and I, I knew it wouldn't match up. I, would, I knew it wouldn't quite have the same. But uh, looking closely at it, it is kind of hard to to, to dis- decipher exactly what's going on with the keyboard as far as what the symbols are and there's a there's a sporadic letter here and there yeah but uh, mostly it's just symbols and then um you have your (laughs) for some reason you have stereo input output jacks you know the classic old uh you know twist the wire and stick it in and clamp it down uh, right there on the on the console yeah um uh, it's an interesting piece of equipment here and then you have the little the little LED sort of display window like on a calculator and the old-timey microphone that that you know looked like it, it was something that Gene Rayburn would be toting on match game that he uses right. for the little <laughs> the little easily finger maneuvered joystick but yeah I, I wondered if that the keyboard itself had been you know I'm a geek about stuff like this like you know I was watching Outland the other day and I you know when Connery has Francis Sternhagen analyze the drug the molecule and she's banging away on that keyboard well I went to like a vintage computer museum thing online and and found out what kind of computer it was and it was you know an Amstrad or, or something crazy from from 1980 but I was wondering if anybody knew um anything about this prop terminal because you know it's it's exotic enough that it actually kind of passes my smell test on on plausibility. Um, but at the same time, it also has that Cameron sense of grounding things in our reality by using the familiar and rearranging them just enough. And that's how this keyboard and per- portable terminal feel to me. You know, the, the beautiful effect of the the glowing fiber optic cables when he's getting everything plugged in, all that stuff is is really, really cool to me. Um, and the keyboard, the, the terminal itself has always been sort of an object of fascination to me. But with your, your listenership, I wonder if there was anybody out there in Alien Minute podcast listener land who could maybe give us some insight into this sweet prop, because I think it's kind of awesome. Yeah, anybody out there that knows what this prop is, exactly let us know on the Facebook page. That'd be greatly appreciated. Uh, I also wanted to mention, mentioning the Facebook page and Outland, I did want to throw this out there that um, I had previously never seen Outland, and this was talked about at some point on the Facebook page back, uh, I think, when we were doing Alien. And I do want to give an update. I have since seen Outland. I just watched it a couple weeks ago for the first time. And I loved it. Yeah, I absolutely loved it. Yeah, I thought it was fantastic. It was a uh, to me. It was kind of this half film noir. It's like a, a weird space noir up to one point, and then it quickly turns into a space western uh, for the second half. You get high noon in space for the second half. You get your detective kind of hard boiled detective story in the first half. So anyway, Outland, great. Yeah, yeah love it. And I can see how people would would consider it to be so akin to Alien, and perhaps even be in the same world as Alien. Uh, it feels. Uh, 
that way, doesn't it? With with Con Am and Con Amalgamated is something that Peter Hyams has used in many of his movies. He uses the, that company name. Con Am, for example, Con Amalgamated. Hal Holbrook tells us built the life support system in the spacecraft in Capricorn One that won't work. So he's, he's right. used that before. Um, things I love in Outland. I love Connery. I love the look of it. I love the bizarrely weird way they use Stephen Burkoff in that movie. Um, I I love that uh, the shotguns make it feel very westerny. Things I hate, the awful, awful actor who plays his little boy. This pig-faced, oh oh my God. Oh Oh my God, it's awful. Yeah, it's one of the worst child performances. Oh, it's so (laughs) accurate and dreadful. And I can just picture Connery. Knowing Connery, wanting to slap the shit out of this kid, you know, just or, or slap or out of Peter Hyams and tell him to go get me somebody better, anybody, go get me Adam Rich. I don't care. But this <laughs> awful little boy, I love you, Daddy. I know what you're doing. Oh, but uh, but Daddy, I miss you. Are you coming with us? Yeah, and I'm, Daddy. And I'm bringing oh you a my present. God, really bad. I'm bringing you a present. It looks like a huge egg, and I want you to lean in very close to it. Yeah, I, that that was just awful. But I love so yeah. much of the movie. I love James B. Sicking. I think uh, I think um, Peter Boyle is fantastic. Um, there's so much of it I really love, and I, I think is really clever and and gritty and gross but but that kid really burns up a lot of that goodwill for me a lot yeah. no i i thought doogie hauser's dad was really good and frankenstein was great yeah. and um and uh, victor maitland all all really good <laughs> you really so. love throwing out the zymdb kind of yeah falling that <laughs> rabbit hole where are you gonna go with well, Sternhagen? that's what i wonder where are you gonna, gonna go from, what are you t- uh, from the mist you know throw, he'll what, cliff clavin's Cliff Clavin's mom? Go. What? There you go. Um, it was actually kind of hard for me to watch her with that context. God. I'm like, Cliff's mom. But anyway, wow, it's usually, this is a Monday episode. It's usually the Friday episodes where we go this far off Yeah, track. I, I apologize, <laughs> uh, listeners. It's, I haven't been on the podcast for a while, and I obviously have a lot of stuff saved up. So please don't blame John Engel. Blame me. If you want to, I encourage you to leave, to, to show your displeasure and leave an angry tip in the tip jar. If you feel that I, my performance has been awful, um, I, I that is the best way to punish me. It was my fault. I'm the one that got off on the, the outland. Uh, no, uh, I brought it up. I brought it up with the with the, the props and whatnot. And I just, I can't not hate that little boy. He, you know, it's like I can feel my myself getting stronger. Like I, I, like I, like if I needed to help you like lift a couch. I would think about him and you'd be like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Hey, man, you know, you don't need to throw it (laughs) like because it would like fly up out of my hands a little bit because I would imagine that I was throwing him like off of a building or off like a high dive, you know, hoping he would land like on his belly or his back in the water. Something would make a good crack. Um, It's just I encourage all of our listeners to see Outland. It is. Definitely an interesting look at how Con Amalgamate mines titanium on IO and everything that's involved there, but also in how to absolutely not direct a child actor or cast a child actor or really uh, have a, a human child look or act or talk. Right. It's just dreadful. Thank <laughs> God Cameron stumbled over Carrie Hen instead of, you know, it was going to be a little boy and we were going to use, you know, little Ben Pig, Pig Boy from Outland, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> with a, a lovely sow that he had met up with. He's just awful. Uh, uh. 
God. Well, look, Give me a face hugger now, God. Make me forget about it. Give me the sweet, sweet coma, a sweet abyss to forget about. God. Uh, it's a good minute well, is what I'm saying. To... <laughs> it's a good what I'm saying is we see dropship number two, and I, we know the first dropship is the bug stomper. I don't know what dropship number two is called. I'm a little curious if anybody has that artwork. Um, I, it might even be in the Colonial Marines technical manual, which used photos of a lot of the props. So if any of you have that, um, I would love to know. But um, yeah, we have Ripley um, having you know, curled up with Newt in, in a safe place. I think probably for both of them, uh, both of them are, are, are taking um, something validating and safe and good from this moment of being curled up and blissfully asleep and away from the horror around them. Yeah. And so we get, we get Ripley waking up there, uh, spooning uh, Newt there under the cot and she catches a glimpse of something which would be one of our uh, what do you what do you want to call it a jar? Stasis a, uh, what, tube. What I think of the right Stasis word? tube. Stasis. Sure, there you go. Stasis tube, and there it is, just lying there on the floor, clearly having once been inhabited by a facehugger. So it's a nice visual um, cue to us as to what's going on here. We don't need her to go. Dude, there's a facehugger or something, you know, or any of that. We just get this like, idea. They would do that nowadays. They would. Yeah, she would wake up, see the tube. She'd say, Newt, there's a tube over there. And then Newt would say, what's that? What kind of tube? He said, well, it's a stasis tube. Yeah. Anyway. Mitch was lamenting that. Mitch, I think, posted something on Facebook like, uh, I don't know why today's movies need to, and I'm not giving any examples, but when you see kids floating, why you have to have a cast member say, the kids, they're floating. He's absolutely right. Yeah. Um, typically, that is the case. I in this case, though, I like, I think this is a nice, clean visual. You know, you get this POV shot of Ripley, and then you cut in close, you know, so we can see a little bit more clearly what we've mm-hmm. got. Uh, my question is, though, what what did, what did was Burke doing? Like, we know it's, you know, we know it's Burke that has done this, that set, set them up and has placed this facehugger in here. Did he just walk in, grab the gun, set it aside outside the door? Then get the stasis tube, dump out the face hugger, drop it, and run out. I mean, is that what we're thinking? Is the uh, well? It seems to me like he would have a hard time doing any of that without waking up well, Ripley. For one we thing, we hear when she takes Newt into med lab, we hear how quiet the door is. Right, it's a very low hum. So I would buy him being able to go in. I would buy him being able to, you know, it's not a creaky wooden floor. It's, you know, space metal. So I would buy him being able to walk soundlessly over and grab the pulse rifle. However, <laughs> as stealthily releasing two face huggers, that's, uh, yeah, another kettle of fish. I, I don't know that I, uh, that I buy how that could be done silently. I don't think I see a way to do it. Well, not to mention Burke having the balls to do it. I mean, that, he has to put himself in the same room with the face hugger, unless he opened the door and threw them in there somehow, but there's no way that doesn't wake somebody up. So I've always wondered how he really pulled this little gambit off. Well, we off. know that there was love at first sight between them, so maybe they're doing it out of That's a, true. you know, maybe they want to impress him. Maybe, you know, the face huggers are, you know, he's, he's a corporate guy. He's going places, sharp dresser, pop collar suits, nice vest, L.L. Bean. He's on the go. He's a guy on the make, and uh, maybe the face huggers, you know, when they kind of moved up to try and 
get that ovipositor kind of action in the in the jar maybe they just were like okay will this make you notice us you know will this you know make you overlook you know what we look like mr burke i don't know i'm, I'm thinking I'm, I'm spitballing but um yeah that's that's something that you can say um i i will say this i will say it is a fantastic moment of realization it is a terrific shock the cut to the slightly rolling empty jar which maybe indicate uh, you know what you know what buddy i think i might have it okay so when she looks at it it's isn't it it's rolling a little bit right like there's some movement to the is it thing. yeah like it just got out and maybe that's what woke her up what do you think about that what do you yeah think about that that makes sense you don't really wake up as the thing is happening that right. wakes you up. Like you don't wake up and see the face hugger run off. You wake up because the face hugger just right. ran off. Now, then you're implying um, that Burke was right there. Well, was scurrying back, right? Because he, we know it doesn't take long to get to med bay from operations. So it wouldn't have taken. And when the next time we see him is the basic uh, sweaty upper lip turning off of the monitor. So it wouldn't have taken him that long to get back to operations and to look at the – yeah, I think that's probably plausible. I would buy that. I would buy that that they've been dropped or released you know, mere seconds before Ripley wakes up. Yeah, I, I guess that's – we kind of have to buy it. I think that's really all the, the only way that this really works. Well, it's my theory, and I'm substantially more powerful than you are physically. So Ooh. Mm, we might have to – in between today and tomorrow's shows, we might have to have uh, feats of strength competitions. <laughs> I, 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 I dare say, if I just think about that little boy, I'll decimate. You That's true. That. I, I, I'm sure I could think of something that I hate as much as you hate that little boy. <laughs> Overturn a minivan when I think about that kid. I hope he, pretend he's inside it or under it. <laughs> I love you, Dip. <laughs> I love you too, Paul. I love you better now that you're dead. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, everybody. I don't advocate child killing. Just please, I, I I can't. You guys have to watch Outland and watch Marshall O'Neill's communications with his son Paul to understand Paul. how awful this kid is and how saccharine and phony and two dimensional. And he's just awful. He's awful. And he has he has a face. And you want to if you want to go Connery again, he has a face like a pig. Just like Tiger Tanaka said his wife had in You Only Live Twice. He has a face like a pig. So trust me, please. That's all I, and that's all I have to say on the matter for this for right now. I'll probably revisit this. Because my blood my blood is all angried up like I just ate a lot of fried food. And I'm sorry, listeners, because it means I'm not quite as on point as I should be with this minute. And please, on behalf of the podcast, my apologies. Well, so now Ripley is discovered. Gosh, uh, I fucking to- hate that kid, though. I fucking hate it. <laughs> God! <sighs> well, let's tra- let's transition. Let's let's just take a deep breath and transition into a good child performance. Yes, yes. Now we, we're going to get some Carrie Hinn acting here. Yeah, uh, but she's she's one in a million. She's great, and and so we get Ripley. She's woken up. She's seen what's going on. She figures out immediately what's going on, and she you know wakes Newt up, and immediately tells Newt that they're in trouble. Now I like this. I think this is great because what we got here is. Um, where you would usually be an adult, uh, as an adult, you would usually tell your kid, uh, everything's cool, just let's just get up and, you know. Yeah. She doesn't mince words with Newt. And the reason is, th- this gets me closer and closer to this idea of, if there's going to be a singular definition for what 
the relationship between Newt and Ripley is. Um, if it's mater- if it's not maternal, it's this shared survival uh, trauma. You know, this this empathy they have for each other because they have shared survival uh, of the of of alien attacks. I so in this case, she's exactly it. yeah, she's treating her more like a fellow survivor, right? She's saying, look. Uh, you know what I'm talking about. We're in trouble. We need to be alert here. We need to get to safety now. And I'm not going to mince words with you because you get it. You're not just right. a dumb kid. You get it. So let's get up and let's figure this out. And um, I like that we get a little bit more of that as this minute, as this week will go on too. So, um, but we get so Ripley's the first response, of course, is to find that gun she just learned to shoot. Right. That she left on the bed, and uh, yeah, I think that we're pretty close to the end of the minute there, right? Well, she's uh, she extends one spidery, face-huggery looking hand up, feels around for that M41A pulse rifle, and guess what? Not there. Not there. So that's really, so we're already uh, obviously very suspicious of... Um, the stasis tube in the room. Now the gun is gone. Now something's yeah. She's pretty much got this figured out right here, right? I well, mean, it could be a couple things. It could be you know Hudson with a, a misfired joke. It could be uh, it could be Hicks kind of in that classic shy prank of a guy pranking a girl to say he likes her. Um, it could be uh, Vasquez kind of trying to toughen everybody up. It could be Gorman completely punchy and, and screwed up with his concussion. Wandering around misplacing things like an old grandpa. So it could be anybody, but I think Ripley draws the correct conclusion that it's probably Burke um, trying to, you know. But it, I'm just saying there were other options. It could be there's other options for why the gun might be missing. I don't think any of those other options have anything to do with the face hugger being placed in the in the room, well, though. Again, how hard? How hard? I, I, oh, oh, sorry, your your kid's Voltron is talking. I'm sorry. I, I'm so sorry. <laughs> Audience, I, I, I was actually stroking the Voltron, as we say, and uh, it started it started beeping and talking. Um, how hard was Gorman hit on the head? You know, for all we know, he could look in the, in the facehugger jars and he could see, you know, his high school girlfriend. He could see his disapproving father. You know, he could do anything. So he might have knocked him over. Um, you know, it could be Frost. You know, still badly burned, but he makes his way back to Medbay. And, you know, I'm just saying there are a lot of options. Ripley draws exactly the right conclusion, though. And that's that's borne out as we later see Bert turn off the monitor in, in following minutes. But what we have here is a really cool moment where I agree. She trusts Newt's survival instinct. The kids made it for weeks on this planet by herself. And so she gives her a shake and the little girl comes instantly awake with a little muffled, what? And Ripley tells her what's going on and trusts that the kid's gonna fall into line and not panic. And and sure enough, she's right. She trusts the survival instinct that the girl has and it pays it pays off. It's a good call. Well, we'll get uh, really, we'll get more follow through on what we're talking about tomorrow. So I guess we should just move on into tomorrow. Um, yeah, so that's going to uh, finish us up for Minute 91. You can find us at AlienMinute.com, on Instagram at AlienMinutePod, or on, uh, uh, sorry, on Instagram at AlienMinutePodcast, or on Twitter at AlienMinutePod. And uh, 
It's Monday, so let's thank uh, Alex Robinson and Pete the Retailer over at Star Wars Minute for coming up with this Movies by Minutes concept. Uh, thanks for loaning it out to us. And um, anybody who hasn't listened to Star Wars Minute, head on over. They should be starting Revenge of the Sith very soon. Just going to say, fun. according to IMDb, oh. the pig-faced little boy's name is Nicholas Barnes. That's who plays Paul O'Neill. So if you guys want to send out any hate mail, I'm just saying, don't send it to me. You send it to Nicholas Barnes. And he's not, he's playing Paul O'Neill. He's not playing former New York Yankees outfielder Paul O'Neill. No. Uh, just for any baseball fans out there that no. get confused. Just want to make a, sure. He's got a wife named Caitlin that he married in 2013. So if anybody wants to, you know, find her and tell her what a screw up her husband was or how he screwed up my head, then do it. She must have, for, she surely knows and she must have forgiven him. Um, so good for her. She's right, got a big heart. Heard of an actor. Hate him. Big, Hate him. <laughs> all right. Well. <laughs> That's going to do it for Minute sorry. 91. We'll see you tomorrow. Happy holidays, for a folks. Sorry. Happy holidays. <laughs> Bye.